Good evening. We begin with breaking news tonight and a new rash of gun violence on our streets. At least three people have been taken to hospital in two separate reported shootings late this afternoon. One in Toronto's northwest, the other in Brampton. That has sent one person to a trauma center. And that's where we find CTV's Mike Walker tonight. Mike. Well, Nathan, I'm in the Gillingham and Main area where you can see there is a heavy police presence. Peel police tell us they responded to reports of a male being shot just after 3 this afternoon. Peel paramedics tell us they transported that male to a trauma center with uh, serious injuries. The latest update we just got from Peel police just a few moments ago is that the injuries are considered not life-threatening. Now, this is just one of two scenes in the area. There's another scene just north of here at a car dealership at Gillingham and Beauvaird where police tape surrounds a BMW there on the lot where it appears its windows have been uh, shattered on the driver's side. Now, police also tell us that they have taken three males into custody. This happened just minutes after they arrived on scene, but at this point there is no information on any charges. Police have also not said how old neither uh, either the victim or the three people they have in custody are. This remains a very fluid situation, and we'll have more details on this as they become available. Reporting live in Brampton, I'm Mike Walker. Thank Back you, Mike. You. Appreciate it. And about 30 minutes east, police in North York are working to piece together the circumstances behind this afternoon's second shooting. This is a live look at the senior Jane and Steeles. Police say a drive-by has sent two people to hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. No word at this point on a suspect. Officers say the gunman drove off in a black SUV. There's been yet another frightening incident inside our schools. Police say a man entered St. Mary Catholic Academy and then attacked a student. The teen was not hurt, but understandably, this has a lot of people in the Bloordale Village area concerned tonight. Our Austin Delaney is in the neighborhood and joins us live. Austin, there is video of the incident. Yeah, and it's pretty scary. Some scary moments inside that school. It was in lockdown over the lunchtime because a man, a stranger, managed to gain entry and started attacking, physically attacking both students and teachers. The video is alarming. The man in the blue jacket and pom-pom hat has a student in a chokehold, while other St. Mary's students get him to break away. I'm just grabbing by the neck here, but he didn't like full on crushed it. He just like held me there and then he just pinned me against the wall. Justin, a grade 12 student, is the boy in the headlock who stepped up to get the man to leave after he was threatening others. I was a bit shaken up, uh, just a bit of adrenaline really just coursing through me. And I don't know, I just, I feel like just stepping up is just a big thing for others. It was a frightening situation, say fellow students, as the stranger attacked. He grabbed the door, he yanked it open. He came in, he was trying to get the kids, he was trying to grab me and my friends. But the teachers got us away, but he was choking onto one of my friends over a bench. The school had gone into lockdown. No one knew exactly why, just that there was trouble. We barricaded the door to the classroom, and um, we were just preparing for the worst, but hoping for the best, you know? But uh, it was very scary because we heard the three alarms. We never, or the three rings to the alarm lockdown. And uh, we've never been through a real lockdown before. Parents were getting text messages from their kids. I texted him to see if he was okay, and uh, he said they're still on lockdown. As a mother, I'm really scared and concerned. I have to come and pick up my son today because I didn't feel safe for him to walk out and uh, walk home by himself. 
Several students say the incident inside the school began outside when grade nine students began harassing a man they described as homeless. What had happened was some Niners had antagonized the man from the mall and he was chasing them for some reason, but he looked pissed, like he was enraged. St. Mary sent a letter to parents explaining that there was a lockdown today. This was in response to an incident involving students and an unknown member of the public who entered the school premises. The member of the public was allowed entry into the school by some students who were speaking with him outdoors. An altercation took place inside the school foyer between a student and a member of the public. And witnesses tell me the man kept asking where the kids were and where his property was, presumably something to do with the alleged harassment earlier outside. For Hoi Live, I'm Austin Delaney. All right, thank you, Austin. And police are looking into another disturbing case tonight. They've arrested a 32-year-old man in connection with an alleged attack on a 12-year-old girl. Officers say it happened February 8th on a TTC bus. They say the man assaulted the child and hurled racial slurs at her. Matthew Gordon Paul faces several charges, including failure to comply with probation. In light of these events, few would question the need for safer streets. But there are some concerns being raised tonight about the people who patrol them. Specifically, one officer who was cleared in the shooting deaths of two black men in the 90s and is now the head of the force's professional standards unit. CTV's John Woodward joins us. John, why is this coming up now? Nathan, this was an appointment made in the midst of a stay-at-home order during the pandemic two years ago to lead the unit responsible for internal accountability and public confidence in the police. Now critics are questioning whether that appointment was properly thought through. Rick Shank was a constable in 1993 when he shot and killed Ian Coley. The officer claimed the 20-year-old had pointed a gun at him. He was cleared by the Special Investigations Unit, though questions were raised at the coroner's inquest about Shank working alongside what was then known as the Black Organized Crime Squad. It seems that this unit gives extra policing of people in the black community over and above all the normal policing. In December of that year, a video obtained by CTV News shows Paul Reese's head hitting a police car as he's pulled unconscious from the vehicle. You're under arrest for assault with intent to resist arrest. Do you understand that? I know I saw it. Do you understand? Reese claimed Shank and others had beaten him on the way to the police station after an arrest in a traffic stop that turned into a melee in his family's home. This photo obtained by CTV News at the time shows Shank's bloody knuckles. The trial judge threw out the charges against Reese, saying Shank was not executing his duties lawfully in the arrest. The appeals judge decided not to order a new trial, saying the evidence suggests that the actions of participants on both sides left much to be desired and far less than is properly expected by the community at large. Toronto police say Shank never faced any internal discipline proceeding for that incident. A $7 million lawsuit by Reese reportedly settled out of court. Fast forward to 1997. In a drug bust, Shank shot Hugh Dawson nine times as he sat in his driver's seat unarmed. He was charged with manslaughter, a charge that led first to a hung jury and then an acquittal, with Shank noted for a Toronto police first, killing two people. He's had this happen to him twice. I mean, he, he knows what it's, what it's like. He's been through it. And uh, he must be, just be a living nightmare. Item number five is senior officer uniform promotion. Decades later, in February 2021, Toronto's police board approved Shank's promotion to superintendent. He was assigned to lead professional standards. The move was little noted in the midst of Toronto's stay-at-home orders during the pandemic. Looking at it today, the promotion sends the wrong message, according to former Mayor John Sewell. I mean, all of the bigwigs in the Toronto Police Service said, this is perfectly fine. 
And I think what it means is that this is a real demonstration of police culture. Our request to speak to Shank himself was sent through Toronto Police Communications, which says in a statement, Superintendent Shank has served as a police officer for over 30 years with an exemplary record and is recognized for his many contributions to policing. Over the course of his career, he has demonstrated the highest levels of professionalism, ethics and leadership and has a record of service to the community. We stand by Superintendent Shank and his service. Activist Desmond Cole wrote about Shank's position last week. He's wondering whether the optics of this decision, particularly in the black community, were ever considered. The signal that you're sending to the general public and to your own police by hiring someone like this into that job is that you can get away with every, whatever you want and you'll be rewarded. Cole is calling for someone else to take that position. The Toronto police say those incidents happened decades ago and misrepresent who he is as a person and a police officer. They say there was no misconduct or convictions. Critics say to run professional standards, the TPS's standards should be higher than that. Reporting live, I'm John Woodward. Back to you. All right, thank you, John. And if you have a story idea for CTV News Investigates, please let us know. You can email investigate at ctv.ca or visit our website for more secure and anonymous ways to get in touch. Inflation numbers are down, but the price of food continues to rise. When will we finally get a break? We crunch the latest numbers and talk to the experts just ahead. But first, a live look at our city tonight. The cool temperatures have been making a slow comeback over the course of the day, but we are expecting a real blast of winter once again and very soon. Lindsay Morrison is here with a look at the current conditions and what's brewing, Lindsay. Yeah, you know, Michelle, by about this time tomorrow, we are going to be in the thick of it. It's a high-impact storm that's moving in, and with it, we can expect periods of snow, maybe some ice pellets, and in some cases, freezing rain as well. We'll begin with a look at the current satellite and radar. Now, if you are seeing bursts of flurries outside your window right now, that's thanks to a clipper system that's moving through. It's not the main event. Here's what's in place. We have a winter weather travel advisory for areas to the north and to the east, but for the GTA proper, this is a winter storm watch, and for good reason. We are expecting all kinds of precipitation and some very strong winds. There's a look at our current temperatures. Here's what to expect over the next 24 to 40 hours. Again, changing types of precipitation and very strong winds along with potentially significant snowfall accumulations by Thursday. Lots to discuss. We'll take you through the weather forecast coming up. For now though, Michelle, I'll send it back to you. Thanks, Lindsay. Over at City Hall, the dust has settled after John Tory's departure and councillors are looking ahead to what will be the biggest by-election ever held in Canada. If council waits until its next meeting to declare the mayor's seat vacant, voters would likely cast their by-election ballots in June. Some councillors say there's no appetite to move up that date. The city clerk has to get in touch with you know, apartment building owners and school boards and so on to find polling places. They have to get the voting machines up to date. They're, there's a ton of work. So a very fast election, I think, is impractical. The candidates need to actually engage as many people as possible. So my preference is actually to actually make sure that, um, you know, we have as long as a runway as possible. The mayor's office says Deputy Mayor Jennifer McKelvey does not intend to cast a special council meeting to speed up the by-election date as city staff need time to prepare for the vote. 
And there's plenty at stake in who becomes the next mayor of Toronto, especially for the Ford government. But the PCs had their hands full today in their first return to Queen's Park after a two-month winter break. Opposition MPPs wasted no time staging attacks on everything from the Greenbelt to health care. And our Queen's Park reporter Siobhan Morris joins us now with all the day's details. Siobhan. Michelle, whatever the issue was, the opposition was really trying to pick at the government on topics like integrity and their trustworthiness. Meantime, the PCs are trying to move Ontarians off waiting lists and into surgery. The leader of His Majesty's loyal opposition. Marit Stiles' first volley of questions as NDP leader was for the Premier, digging into his relationship with developers who were at a stag and doe and the wedding of one of his daughters. Can the Premier explain to Ontarians how they were, are supposed to believe that these developers weren't given a heads up about his plans for the Greenbelt? A plan to redraw Greenbelt boundaries to build homes on what had been protected land. My family is separate than, than the political process. They aren't involved. I had an opportunity to speak to the Integrity Commissioner, Mr. Speaker. I asked him for his opinion and he found there was no violation. The integrity commissioner is investigating whether developers might have been tipped off by the housing minister or his staff about the Greenbelt changes. After a commission of inquiry accused the government of abandoning the nation's capital during an occupation last February, a demand from the opposition. Acknowledge you made Question. a mistake. Apologize to the people of Ottawa. Here, here. The government didn't explain its decision to sit out key meetings. If there are lessons to be learned uh, with respect to better coordination of emergency services on the ground in Ottawa and how they communicate, we will, uh, we will uh, take a look at that. Thank you, Speaker. This the government has put into legislation moves to give private clinics a greater role in cataract surgeries, knee and hip replacements. Hearing worries about staff poaching from hospitals, the Minister of Health says clinic applicants have to work with their community and local hospitals to make sure that the services that they are wanting to uh, offer are actually needed. Clearing surgical backlogs can't come at the expense of care in places like hospitals. Any suggestion that we take uh, HHR, health human resources, away from one sector to add to another? No, absolutely not. Ontario's patient ombudsman will investigate complaints about private clinics. The ombudsman can only make um, recommendations. And also, I just, you know, let's be clear, the ombudsman is overwhelmed already. Style says it's not the protective guardrail the minister thinks it is. One of the things the legislation does lay out is that clinics won't be allowed to turn away patients who stick with the OHIP covered procedure as opposed to any upgrades they'd have to pay out of pocket for. Reporting live from Queen's Park, I'm Siobhan Morris. Nathan, back to you. All right, thank you, Siobhan. Meantime, Mike Schreiner says he will stay on as leader of the Ontario Green Party. It is vital that we work together to build a caring, connected, climate-ready province that puts people, planet, and province first. The Guelph MPP revealed his plans in a video statement today. Some Liberals had penned a letter to Schreiner last month asking him to consider crossing the floor and running to be their leader. At the time, Schreiner said that he needed to talk the decision over with Green Party supporters. The latest data shows the annual inflation rate in Canada has cooled somewhat, slowing to 5.9% in January. But that bit of good news was tempered by the fact that grocery prices are continuing to rise. CTV's Kreese Najkate has the details on that. Canadians are feeling another huge hit to their pocketbooks as the price of groceries rise to 11.4% this January. For the first time in three years, 
uh, Canada's food inflation rate is now higher than, uh, than in the U.S. Meat, baked goods and vegetables will all cost you more. Supply chain disruptions, the war in Ukraine, the cost of fuel and climate change are all factors in why prices continue to climb. But they're probably not going to fall. I mean, this is one of the things I think that's misunderstood about inflation is these prices aren't going away. Chicken also rose 9%, the largest monthly increase since 1986. One of the biggest reasons behind the rise was the avian flu, which killed more than 50 million chickens in the U.S. and in Canada, just under 2 million. The avian flu has really impacted both the poultry and, uh, and egg industries. And that's why we're seeing higher prices these days. New Brunswick is also the only province that saw prices rise at a much faster pace due to accelerated fuel prices. If you're doing the same thing you were doing last year to grocery shop, you're likely spending too much money. So you have to be a little bit more careful. And at a time when rural and remote communities are already impacted by soaring costs and food security, food experts are now calling for governments to step in. I think the government is aware of that. I know industry is. And that's one of the long-term issues that we've begun talking about. But we're going to have to start coming up with some solutions. Experts say the good news is that this inflation rate should subside by April. However, dairy and dry goods are also seeing an increase last January. But we won't know by how much until March. Chris Nachkate, CTV News, Halifax. A beer tax is on the way, and Bob and Doug McKenzie say we're getting hosed. The classic comedy duo reunites to send Ottawa a message. That story's coming up. A Milton man re remains behind bars tonight on murder charges. The 22-year-old is accused in the shooting death of another man who was allegedly breaking into his home. The case is now raising a lot of questions about why the charges are so severe. CTV's John Musselman's in Milton tonight. John, what's the lawyer for the accused saying? Well, Nathan, the lawyer is saying his client shouldn't be facing a murder charge because he was defending his life and his mother's life. Neighbors on this Milton Street are still reeling after a man was shot dead inside this home on Sunday night. We don't know the victim's name, but it's believed he was one of the suspects involved in an alleged home invasion. He was shot and killed by a 22-year-old man who lives here with his mother. It's still tragic, you know, both sides. Life is precious, anyone's life, but it's not what you would expect. The accused man has been identified as Ali Mian. Neighbors say he is a college student, describing him as pleasant and friendly. Mian has been charged with second-degree murder. Jag Verk is his defense lawyer. He definitely has a right to defend himself, and that's going to be his defense. Obviously, it's uh, self-defense, right? Armed intruders in his home, home invasion, and uh, defending himself and his mother. So uh, we'll see what happens. Verk claims his client is a registered firearm owner and used his gun legally. The accused has no prior criminal history, according to a record search at the Milton Courthouse. Criminal defense lawyer Ari Goldkind says the so-called stand-your-ground defense is common in U.S. states like Florida, but the laws are different here. But we certainly have a right to reasonable self-defense. This was a lawfully possessed firearm on the information, we're told. One shot, and only one shot, was fired by this accused murderer to a number of home invaders in a story that tells us multiple shots were fired. In Canada, under Section 34 of the Criminal Code, it states a person is not guilty of an offence if the act that constitutes the offence is committed for the purpose of defending or protecting themselves or the other person from that use 
or threat of force. Also that the act is reasonable in the circumstances. A neighbor who didn't want to be identified says the accused man's mother recently showed security video of suspects entering her backyard just last week in an attempt to get inside. They were scared off by a barking dog. Neighbors think it is connected. And then she came around when I came home from work and she said, this is happening, you know, like keep an eye out. She says we're a community, we should watch, watch out for each other. Today, forensic investigators were combing the home for any evidence. Halton police say the investigation is ongoing and that detectives are currently looking for information pertaining to three outstanding suspects who they say fled the scene in a light-colored Dodge Charger with a sunroof and black wheels. So she's now brought And police tell us that one man has been arrested and he is in custody. Also, the accused in this case appeared in court today, but he has been remanded in custody until Thursday. Reporting live in Milton, I'm John Musselman. Send it back to you. All right, thank you, John. Quebec's premier is looking for support from other provinces in halting the flow of migrants. Francois Legault wants the irregular border crossing at Roxham Road closed. For months, he's been asking the federal government to act. And today, Legault appealed to English Canada in a letter to the Globe and Mail. He says Quebec can no longer cope with the influx. He's requesting Ottawa settle asylum seekers in other provinces where they can be supported with dignity. Thousands have already been transferred to Ontario. Authorities in Turkey say the latest earthquake to strike the region killed six people and nearly 300 others were injured. Last evening, 6.4 magnitude quake was followed by another sizable earthquake and dozens of aftershocks. The epicenter was in a district of Hatay province, the area worst affected by the larger earthquakes two weeks ago. They killed nearly 46,000 people in Turkey and Syria, which was also hit by the latest quake. Two people died there as a result of panic during the earthquake. The leaders of the United States and Russia presented dramatically different views of the war in Ukraine today as the first anniversary of the invasion approaches. Vladimir Putin claimed self-defense while Joe Biden blasted him for starting the war. CTV's Adrian Gobriel reports. Another show of unity in Warsaw as U.S. President Joe Biden meets with more NATO allies, including Polish President Duda. Biden urging the Western alliance to stay strong. Telling thousands in a fiery speech, Western solidarity will outlast Russian aggression. Our support for Ukraine will not waver. NATO will not be divided and we will not tire. Biden says Russia's war in Ukraine has only strengthened NATO, something President Vladimir Putin badly miscalculated when he launched his invasion. When President Putin ordered his tanks to roll into Ukraine, he thought we would roll over. He was wrong. Kiev stands strong. Kiev stands proud. It stands tall. And most important, it stands free. Biden's speech comes hours after a radically different take from Russian President Vladimir Putin. In his address to the nation, Putin portrayed Russia the victim of Western aggression. They started the war and we used the force in order to stop it. Signaling an escalation to the war, Putin threatened to suspend the START Treaty, the last remaining nuclear arms agreement with the U.S. that expires three years from now is deeply unfortunate and irresponsible. Uh, we'll be watching carefully to see what uh, Russia actually does. 
Putin also vowing that if the U.S. was to resume nuclear tests, so would Russia, ending a decades-long global ban. All of this has upped the ante and the tension in the Ukrainian capital. Adrian Gobriel, CTV News, Kyiv, Ukraine. Coming up, an emergency landing was just the beginning. How a Toronto student who never planned to be in the United States ended up being detained when his flight was forced to land below the border. And I'm Pat Foran. Coming up on Consumer Alert, Canada's fitness industry was hit hard during the pandemic. Gyms were closed for over 400 days. It's been one year since clubs have been allowed to open without COVID restrictions. We see how they're doing. All of that story just ahead. Well, even though there's a chance of flurries tonight, this is quite literally the calm before the storm. So get out and get your groceries, your gas, if you haven't done so already. Overnight tonight, we're looking at a low of minus 4 degrees. And then if you have any travel plans for tomorrow, it's worth noting that the active weather, light snow anyway, begins in the morning. But it is going to continue and intensify as the day goes on. Maybe a changeover from snow to ice pellets or even freezing rain. Stay with us. A full look at your weather forecast is coming up. And we've got another full night of great shows for you right here on CTV. It's been one year since fitness clubs in Ontario were allowed to open without masking requirements and COVID protocols. While many businesses faced difficulties during the pandemic, gyms were feeling the pain after being closed for more than 400 days. Pat Foran has an update on today's Consumer Alert. Pat. Thanks, Michelle. And Nathan, fitness clubs have been steadily filling back up over the past year. Memberships have not returned to pre-pandemic levels, but they're getting closer. The industry is hoping people who have been working out at home return to the gym. At this Good Life Fitness location in downtown Toronto, members say they were relieved to get back into their fitness programs. Gazachu Tesfe works in construction. I find that if I work out, I, I wake up more refreshed and more, more energized to start work for the day. Natty says staying away from the gym during COVID was difficult and she felt grateful to get back into her fitness routine. Every time the restrictions were lifted, I was in here. <laughs> you know, like the first day I was back in here doing, the, doing my thing. Fitness clubs and studios that were packed with members before the pandemic sat empty for a total of 410 days due to COVID restrictions. Many members started working out at home, but the Fitness Industry Council of Canada says of the 6 million Canadians who belong to gyms, many have returned. In the last four or five months, we have seen a significant uptick um, in Canadians coming back into fitness facilities. We were in that group that was always the first to close, the last to open. Um, you know, it was tough. It was very tough. Jason Sheridan with Good Life Fitness says the chain's 200 clubs have seen about 75% of their members return, and he hopes more will be back throughout the year. The cost of the pandemic is still with us, and so there's, there's going to be a long road to get all the way back to feeling like we're completely out of this and, and things are all the way normal. But the positive signs are there. Sheridan says members who have returned are more engaged and using the gym more often. The members are actually using the club more frequently than they did pre-COVID. People are coming multiple days a week and are really getting uh, the benefit of coming to the gym. The Fitness Council says there are 6,000 gyms in Canada and the industry is hoping the positive trend continues. I think for 2023, we are going to see uh, membership increase and surpass 
where we were pre-COVID. And the Fitness Council says more people want to work out, not just for their physical health, but also their mental health, and adds when people stay fit, they're less reliant on the health care system. On your side, I'm Pat Foran. If you have a consumer story idea, email us at alert at ctv.ca. Turning now to the story of one man's journey beyond his expectations and none of them positive. He says he was detained after his international flight made an emergency landing in the U.S. Here's our Scott Lightfoot with the details. It started with a depressurization issue. This February 7th Flair Airlines flight bound for Toronto had to make an emergency landing in Fort Lauderdale. I usually don't clap when the plane lands because I don't like to do that. But this was the first time that I did. But Luis Alabarda quickly realized he had little to cheer for. The 25-year-old student was returning from his home country of Mexico after visiting his wife, who was recovering from surgery. Alabarda says Flair Airlines staff told passengers they'd be granted temporary visas to allow them to stay overnight in Florida until the next plane could get them to Canada. U.S. Customs officials told him something different. They told me, like... You, you already been denied for a, a visa application, so you're not allowed. And I tried to explain them, like, I didn't try to come to the U.S. An application for a visitor visa last year to see his mother, a U.S. citizen, had been rejected because Alabarda didn't submit the proper documentation of his student status. Now, U.S. officials told him he would be remaining in their custody. The police uh, patrol told me, like, okay, you're going to be detained, so you're not allowed to have your phone or your shoes, or something that you can uh, hurt yourself. And they told me, this is for your own security. And I said, like, I'm not a criminal. I, I don't understand. Alabarda says he and four other men were taken to a secure facility, searched, and placed in a locked room overnight. And I said, okay, but if, if I'm not under arrest, why are you keeping me in a room, in a locked room? And they said, okay, you're not under arrest, but you are detained. Right? So basically, the only difference was the handcuffs. Eventually, Alabardo was given his cell phone back and managed to connect with his mother, who booked him an Air Canada flight home the next morning. This video shows the prisoner transport van he and fellow travelers were put in to take them to their flight the following morning. Alabarda, who suffers from a heart condition, says during his time on the ground in Florida, the airline declined his request for food, water, and medical assistance. If we don't do things right, we are not allowed to go to the U.S., and I respect that. I know how this works. But it wasn't our intention to go inside. So if I'm going to be on detention, I understand. But what about the medical assistance? What about the food? What about somebody to tell me, hey, you need to make a call? Alabarda says the CEO of Flair Airlines has reached out with an apology, a refund, and two tickets to anywhere the airline flies. But at this point, he has no interest in getting on board again. Alabarda says he holds no ill will towards U.S. customs officials, and he hopes this incident will not impact his chances of getting a visitor's visa so he can eventually see his mother in the States. Scott Lightfoot, CTV News. Blizzard-like conditions are forecast as a big winter storm is starting to hit the U.S. The system is sweeping across the west into the northern plains and midwest. Up to 60 centimeters of snow could fall in some parts. Frigid temperatures and high winds are also possible through tomorrow. Authorities are warning that driving could be difficult and there is potential 
for power outages. Hopefully it's not that bad here when that storm comes, Mish. I think, Nathan, the reality is we have to ready ourselves for another blast of winter. I think a lot of us were hoping we were through with it. So help us plan. How bad is this going to be? Well, it really depends on where you are and what type of precipitation you're going to get. Uh, interestingly enough, just now during our newscast, Environment Canada updating some of these watches and warnings. So we're going to take you through them. West GTA looking at some freezing rain. Areas to the north, maybe some snow and ice pellets. Everyone going to be in for some pretty gusty winds at about this time tomorrow. Weather is brought to you by Train, the most reliable heating and cooling brand. It's hard to stop a train. Let's get right to it. We now have a freezing rain warning in effect for Niagara over to Hamilton, including Oakville, Burlington and Milton. If you're joining us from areas like Caledon, Newmarket, Richmond Hill into uh, the Markham area and then over toward Uxbridge, you are now under a winter storm warning as opposed to a watch. Uh, Toronto also now appears to be included in that warning. Underneath a winter storm watch, that's where conditions are favorable but not imminent or occurring. We have areas like Durham Region and over toward Peterborough and Kingston. Just about everyone though getting into a messy mix and then for areas a little bit further to the north of that and over toward the nation's capital, it's a special weather statement warning of some accumulating snow as well. Not much to show you on the current satellite and radar. We've got some light flurries making their way through the GTA. Could be reducing visibility, but again, that's not the main event here. That's the appetizer. Tomorrow, we get the main course, and it comes in the form of a Colorado low. You can see, even based on the colors here, the fact that we are in for a few different types of precipitation. Here's a look at our most recent ice accretion forecast. So, winds are over toward London into the Hamilton area. This is where we're likely to see some of that ice build up on roads, on branches, on fences, things like that. And then when it comes to snow, it's possible. I'm going to play the high-end scenario right now that we could pick up between 10 and 15 centimeters of snow by day's end tomorrow and then an additional round of 10 to 15 centimeters is going to be possible into the day on Thursday. So it has potential to be a bit of a winter wallop. Winds could be gusting between 60 and 70 maybe up to 80 kilometers per hour again by about this time tomorrow and strengthening even further as we make our way through the night. So the timing of it See that says 3 p.m. I do think we're likely to see some light snow beginning in the late morning and early afternoon. Then we get into the meat of it as we make our way into tomorrow night. That snow intensifies maybe a couple of centimeters accumulating per hour as we make our way through the evening. Bit of a break into your Thursday morning, but we're not done. More in the way of periods of snow or patchy freezing rain as we make our way through the day and into the afternoon. Overnight tonight, the low minus four. Temperature tomorrow holding steady during the daytime hours at about zero. Then look what happens Thursday and into Friday. We plummet to a low of minus 10 degrees. Friday is a cold day and it's still active over the weekend with a chance of flurries both days. That's your look at the forecast for now. Michelle, over to you. Thank you, Lindsay. Also tonight, she changed one word in Canada's national anthem, but the reaction has been huge. Julie Black weighs in on the rendition that struck a chord with many people. The city of Toronto just had a checkup of sorts, a way to gauge the health of our population. So what's the diagnosis? CTV's Pauline Chan reports. What is this population health profile? Well, if we're to use a medical analogy, it, it's a bit of a health checkup. 
Medical Officer of Health Dr. Eileen Davilia presented a comprehensive report, the first of its kind at the Board of Health meeting. Uh, there are some challenges that we see on the horizon. You heard about mental health challenges. You heard about uh, housing and homelessness challenges. You've, we know about a drug poisoning crisis on our streets. The report shows Toronto is aging gradually and growing in diversity, with 56% belonging to a racialized group, up 8% since 2016. But it also looks at things like cost of living and mental health. For example, in 2021, 19% of Toronto residents experienced food insecurity, almost one in five. And the monthly rate of mental health and addiction-related outpatient visits rose from 5% pre-pandemic to 6% during the pandemic. Women, youth, racialized individuals, and members of the LGBTQ plus community were disproportionately affected. Many people weren't able to get access to public care because of the long wait time. Uh, sometimes it's three, maybe nine months. And in most cases, it's, it's life or death for these people to get help. Lazar Markovic of Addiction Rehab Toronto says the opiate overdoses figures are especially shocking. Toronto saw a record number of confirmed opiate-related deaths, 591 in 2021. In particular, young people are struggling with mental health, uh, coming out of the pandemic, and also the situation that people are facing with a worsened economy, inflation, um, and the insecurity of their parents has to be affecting young people as well. Dr. Davilia says unlike individual health care, public health focuses on prevention, and the data being collected will form the basis of policies and programs going forward. Pauline Chan, CTV News. The Oscars is adding a crisis communications team to its awards ceremony this year. Rapid response professionals will be on hand during the March 12th broadcast. The move follows Will Smith's slap of comedian Chris Rock during last year's show. Stars Tonight is brought to you by Lastman's Bad Boy. Who's better? Nobody. Shop smart and save. Tomorrow on CP24 Breakfast. Get fresh ideas and budget-friendly recipes to stretch every dollar. CP24 Breakfast, where Toronto gets its everything every morning. Updating our top stories, a male victim is in hospital with serious non-life-threatening injuries following a reported shooting in Brampton. Three people have been taken into custody. So far, police have not provided any details about the incident. He just grabbed me by the neck here, but he didn't like full on crushed it. He just like held me there and then he just pinned me against the wall. Police are searching for a suspect after a student was assaulted inside a Toronto secondary school. St. Mary's Catholic Academy was placed under a brief lockdown after a man entered the building and was involved in an altercation with the student. No injuries were reported. They told me, like, you, you already been denied for a, a visa application, so you're not allowed. And I tried to explain them, like, I didn't try to come to the U.S. A Toronto man is sharing his story after being briefly detained in Florida. His flight from Cancun to Canada was forced to make an emergency landing. U.S. officials locked him in a room because he did not have the proper papers to be in that country. On the markets, the loonie dropped 34 basis points to 73.87 U.S. Oil slid 18 cents to 76.16 a barrel. And the TSX lost just over 262 points to close at 20,252. 
A lot of years have passed since anyone has heard or probably uttered the phrase, take off, eh? But that famous line by two very famous Canadian comics is making a comeback and with a cause. Good day. I'm Bob McKenzie. This is my brother, Doug. How's it going, eh? Okay, everything else Bob and Doug McKenzie are the voices behind an audio ad campaign against an upcoming federal tax hike on beer and other alcohol. Critics say the tax will make matters worse for an already struggling industry. Here's CTV's Raheem Ladani to explain why. Outside this Etobicoke beer store, shoppers have a bitter taste in their mouths, and it's not from the hops. Uh, not good. It's already too expensive as it is. Everything's so expensive now. Everything's going up. You know, the price of groceries and now beer, 6%. Like, that just seems awfully high. A 6.3% tax on beer, wine and spirits comes into effect April 1st. And they're not the only ones sounding off. Okay, so we did a scientific taste test and beer does not go down as smoothly with another tax hike. If those voices sound familiar... You're likely a fan of SCTV's Bob and Doug. There's a mouse in this bottle, eh? In a new set of radio commercials, the Canadian comedian duo Rick Moranis and Dave Thomas are back on the airwaves, voicing their displeasure with the federal government's stiff beer tax hike. Take a hike, Ottawa. We drink responsibly. So tax responsibly. Beer Canada is behind this fun campaign, but the message is serious on behalf of Canadian brewers. We're facing all these other uh, global pressures. So barley prices are up 60%, packaging costs 40%, freight costs have nearly doubled. The worst thing that could happen is for the government to pile on. When the federal government first tied the booze tax to inflation in 2017, it was just 2%. But with inflation high today, beer makers are likely to pass down the added cost to consumers. Double think about purchasing, that's for sure. Cut back. Yeah. A high price for a pint, something Bob and Doug don't like. Why don't you tax some other stuff, eh? Like yams, confetti, or liver, eh? I hate liver. Raheem Ladani, CTV News. Time to look skyward where a blast of solar flares has created a spectacular sight. The northern lights can put on quite a show. Take a look at these images as the aurora borealis made its presence known last week. They were captured over the Brooks Range in Alaska, but some lucky folks in Ontario, Quebec, Alberta and the territories would have seen them as well. Well, reaction continues to pour in over Toronto singer Julie Black's lyric swap. The artist is getting a lot of attention for changing Canada's national anthem this past weekend before the NBA All-Star Game. Oh, Canada, our home on the native land. Black says she altered the opening line to recognize Canada's indigenous peoples who lived on the land before European settlers. CTV's Beth McDonnell spoke with the award-winning singer about her decision and the reaction she's received. Our home on the native land. It's a one-word change, changing the conversation. Sunday, at the All-Star NBA game, Toronto's Julie Black performed the national anthem, deliberately switching the lyric from our home and native land to our home on native land. 
as I'm singing each word, I'm literally thinking about my parents being immigrants. My really good friend, Roy Perot, and his family is, is who are indigenous. Black says she's turned down singing the anthem before, but with this opportunity, asked indigenous friends about the idea and made the decision with their blessing. Ahead, very few people knew about the swap. I wanted to, to see how I could utilize this as something to make a shift. Not even like a, not even a change, just a shift. Saw the beauty and compassion and the strength that she had. So all of that gave me chills. Former Grand Chief Sheila North says the change made her proud, not only of the Juno award-winning artist, but of Indigenous people to inspire someone like Black to act out as an ally. North says the official lyric ignores the real history and participation of Indigenous people. The swap acknowledges the past, she says, and should become permanent. This is the era of reconciliation, and why not change the anthem to also be inclusive and to be respectful of Indigenous people. And sometimes it takes people on the world stage to make that happen. The Canadian Language Museum is hosting an exhibit exploring the meaning behind the words in the anthem. Its director says Native in the line, our home and Native land, does not refer to Indigenous people and is problematic. So many new Canadians come, perhaps as adults, and uh, they're very uh, excited and happy to take on Canadian citizenship, but they're in no way native to Canada's. In 2018, the lyric, All Thy Sons Command, was changed to In All of Us Command. Reaction to Black's rendition has been big. While some have criticized the swap, many have thanked her. I'm hoping that many others could be in your workspace, could be at the grocery store. It doesn't have to be on an all-star basketball stage to know that you have the opportunity to make a shift. On the native land. Black says she's learned about others who already sing on native land outwardly or in their heads and is proud to have made this moment possible. Beth McDonnell, CTV News. All right, let's talk about that forecast and, of course, all eyes on that storm on the way. Yeah, it's going to be pretty interesting as we make our way through the day tomorrow and into the day on Thursday. So one more look at the updated watches and warnings. We are under a winter storm warning now here in the city of Toronto. It's a freezing rain warning for areas to our west. It is a special weather statement for areas to the north and to the east. Tomorrow at a glance, snow begins early in the morning, but it really intensifies late in the afternoon and into the evening. Winds pick up. We might see a change over to ice pellets and then back to snow. And again, some areas are going to get freezing rain. So very active for your Wednesday, a good portion of your Thursday as well. Friday is our cold day, and then we return to flurries over the weekend. Lots going on, Nathan and Michelle. All right, thanks, Lindsay. Be sure to join Omar Sachedina tonight at 11 for CTV National News, followed by Zarada Allman with our next local newscast at 1130. In the meantime, our coverage continues anytime on CP24 and online at ctvnewstoronto.ca. For Lindsay Morrison and all of us at CTV News, thank you for watching and have a good night. Good night.